In this epistle, Peter has been warning us about false teachers and false prophets. Those whose objective was to make merchandise profit off of us. In our study of chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, last week, we observed that these false teachers have a payday coming. As a matter of fact, our expanded translation of those two verses reads as follows. As a matter of principle, they continually participate in being defrauded as wages for their own unrighteousness. As a matter of principle, they continually participate in in considering if the ultimate luxury in the sphere of a day, moral blots, moral disgraces, making it a matter of principle to openly take pleasure in the sphere of their own deceitful delights, while making it a principle to continually participate in feasting along with you as one of you. He continued saying, continually making it a principle to keep on having eyes that are focused on looking for adulteresses and unceasing from sin. Making it a principle to constantly lure through the use of bait unstable souls. Having a heart that is a matter of principle has been completely trained in the past with the result that it remains trained from the sphere of an intense desire to have more. Children born in the sphere of a curse. So payday is coming, but until that payday arrives, we are warned and encouraged to always be on the alert to understand their objective, and therefore it's important for us to be able to identify the false prophets and the false teachers from those that God has gifted and sent. Our text today is verse 15 and 16 of the second chapter of Second Peter. So look with me at it this morning. It begins, which have forsaken the right way, speaking of the false teachers and prophets, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Basor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Peter begins by saying that these false prophets have forsaken the right way. The literal reading of that is that they actually have made it a principle to continually forsake the quality or the characteristics of a straight path. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says, Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there are which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So in contradiction to that very warning 
and the statement of our Lord Himself, these false prophets and false teachers continually make it a principle to deliberately forsake the quality or the characteristics of that straight path that God has established. Not only have they made it a principle to deviate from the path that God has established, but they are gone astray. As we examine that in the original language, the Koine Greek, we recognize that this word is actually in the passive voice, which means they are acted upon. It's not that they initiate the action themselves, but they are acted upon and follow. False teachers may think they're doing their own thing, but they're only, they are in reality doing the service that Satan is promoting and the falsity that he has established. It should say they have been led astray following the way of Balaam. That word following indicates they follow to the very end as a matter of principle the path of Balaam. Which Balaam is this? And who are we talking about? That's explained to us then in the next phrase. He's Balaam, the son of Bosor. And of course, you recognize the two words, the son, are in brackets, which tells us and it was not in the original text. It just simply said, of Balaam of Beor. They simply identify that it is this prophet that is being spoken of. Actually, this identifies a prophet of God that's identified for us in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, beginning at verse 6, or verse 1 through verse 6. We have this written, And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the tents of Moab, on this side of Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Now, we're talking about Balaam, and now we are talking about Balak. So, two different individuals. Balaam the prophet, and Balak was the king of Moab. Moab was so afraid of these people because uh, they were many, and Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us as the, lo- as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pathor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people that has come out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse these, uh, curse them, um, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that 
we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I was what? That he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. Balaam is a prophet of God. Not from the descendant of Abraham. Not in that line of Israel, but at a time set apart from the focus on the nation of Israel. They are the people that the king of Moab is disturbed about. The descendants of Abraham have left Egypt and they have been wandering through the wilderness and now they come to the land of Moab and Balak the king of Moab is frightened seeing such a horde of people and so he turns to Balaam a prophet of God saying I have noticed that whoever you curse is cursed and whoever you bless is blessed so come and curse this people for me. The next phrase in our text actually sets up the story. It refers to Balaam, the son of Beor, as one who loved the wages of unrighteousness. We have seen that these false prophets and those who teach false doctrine are going to have a payday and they are going to receive the wages of unrighteousness as they are identified. But notice it is said <clears throat> that Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. That word loved is translated from the Greek word agape that identifies a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues regardless of the response. He is committed to de earning the wages of unrighteousness. Now, in our study last time, we saw that the word righteousness identifies the blueprint or the plan that has been developed. Unrighteousness then would be to fail to conform to that plan and to walk in a different way. Balaam is introduced to us then as a prophet of God that's been asked to come and curse the people of Israel. He's been invited by the king of Moab, <clears throat> a king by the name of Balak. And now, in our text here in Second Peter, it says, But he was rebuked, Balaam was rebuked, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. He, speaking of Balaam, was rebuked by the creature upon which he was writing. In response to his transgression, of God's direction to him, the dumb ass, and that word dumb doesn't have anything to do with his intelligence, but rather his inability to speak, a natural inability for an ass to speak. But this dumb ass, this 
ass that had no ability to speak speaks with a man's voice and forbids uh, Balaam in his pursuit and in his goal of going to Moab. The Shias spoke with a man's voice and forbade the madness of the prophet. That word madness is a compound word that means that which is contrary to the mind. The action of Balaam is contrary to sound thinking. And we're going to see that as we look at the story because God had given Balaam this prophet clear direction as to what he ought to do. And we will find as we look at the story that he does not do that. So the text that introduces this story to us today is in Second Peter. The story will be found in the Old Testament book of Numbers. In the text in Second Peter, it says that making it a principle to constantly forsake the quality or the characteristics of a straight path, they have been led astray. Following to the end, as a matter of principle, the path of Balaam, of Beor, who loved self-sacrificial wages of unrighteousness, but had rebuke in response to his transgression, a dumbass speaking as a matter of principle in the sphere of a man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. Well, let's look at the rest of the story and see how that ties in. It's one of the fascinating stories of the Old Testament, and it's found in the book of Numbers, chapter 22 through chapter 31, but it's referenced in the New Testament as well and is referenced here in Second Peter in our study text. The children of Israel had departed from Egypt under God's direction and under Moses' leadership. They had gone to Mount Horeb across the Red Sea into Arabia And they spent a year there in preparation for going into the promised land. The year was spent in building the tabernacle, in receiving the law, and understanding and instructing in the ways of the sacrificial system that all pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, after spending a year there, they began to make their journey from Mount Horeb up to the land of Israel today. It was the land of Canaan in that day. And then when they got there, uh, they, they arrived there pretty quick after they left Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, but... When they got there, they decided maybe they ought to send some spies to check out the land. God had told them to go right into the land and he would drive the people out before them and they would be able to live in houses they hadn't built and and harvest crops that they hadn't planted and gather fruit from orchards that others had planted. 
because God's judgment upon the people in the land of Canaan was uh, to be executed. They were to be his executioners, and uh, he would take care of driving the people out before them. But they decided they ought to investigate it on their own, and when they did, they came back saying, we can't take it. And so, as a result of that, the children of Israel were not allowed to go in. That would have been just a little after a year from which they left uh, the land of Egypt that they would have gone into the land. But God said, no, because of your doubt and your refusal to go in, you'll not be allowed to go in until everyone over the age of 20 is dead. We have a new generation, and we'll take them into the land. And so the children of Israel spent 40 years wandering in that wilderness area, moving nomadic from place to place. And now they come near to the land of Moab. You may remember in our study just a few weeks ago, we talked about Lot and how Lot was the nephew of Abraham. And Lot had gone with Abraham uh, when God told Abraham to get out from among his kindred and among his people and go to a place that God would show him and God would make him the father of many nations. He didn't obey that completely. He took Lot, his nephew, with him. And there developed a problem between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. And so there came a need to part ways. And Abraham, who had been given title deed to all the land, said to his nephew Lot, you choose the portion you want and uh, uh, I'll take uh, the other direction. You go the direction you want. Well, we're told that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Didn't go to Sodom. That was an evil city. But he pitched his tent in that direction. And then in our study, we saw a little later, he was living in Sodom. And later on, he was actually sitting on the city council in the city of Sodom. And so when God got ready to destroy of the city because of its evilness and the four other cities. There were five cities in that, that, that area. Sodom and Gomorrah are the most prominent we hear about, but there are actually three other cities that are named as well that were destroyed. And God sent an angel to deliver Lot and his family. You'll remember as we studied it that Lot and two unmarried daughters were the only ones that were obedient and went out. Lot's wife started with him, but the angels had said, don't turn around and look behind you. But she turned around, and as a result, she was, uh, she. the Bible says she became a pillar of salt. And so Lot, with his two unmarried daughters, three married daughters and three son-in-laws that perished in the city, and then his wife perishing in the way. And you remember that the daughters feared that there would not be any uh, offspring. There wouldn't be any lineage uh, developed. And so uh, they got their dad drunk. And um, one lay with him one night and the other lay with him the next night. And both of them uh, became pregnant and fathered children. One of those daughters uh, uh, 
named her son Moab. And so the Moabites were the descendants. Now the children of Israel, these years later, generations later, are encountering, these are actually their cousins that they uh, are encountering, and um, their cousins are determined to annihilate them if they can. But there's, there's so many of them, they haven't been able uh, to even muster the courage to go out and face them. So the king of the Moabites, that would be then their cousin uh, through Lot's daughter, uh, says, I know a preacher. I know a prophet that has power with God. Whoever he curses, they're cursed. Whoever he blesses, they're blessed. So he sent some of his princes over to the land of Pethor, where Balaam lived. And the messengers came with news from the king of Moab, Come over and curse these people that are coming into my land. For I've observed, if you curse a people, they're cursed. And uh, they're too numerous for us to defend ourselves against. And so, come curse them, and I'll give you a great reward. Well, we begin a process then, by which Balaam is confronted with some decision-making. We are confronted with decision-making continually. Every day, we make decisions. And it's helpful if we are able to know uh, how to make good choices when the decisions are made. And to understand that, we, of course, must understand there are three aspects of God's will. That God has a directive will. That is, He has a plan for each of our lives. Specifically, day by day, He has a plan for us. And his directive will is presented in a variety of ways and circumstances that we might recognize it. Uh, in, in the Word of God, in the Bible, we have the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. They're pretty specific about the directive will of God. But beyond that, we must learn the biblical principles in order to understand the direction of God. God has a plan for every day in your life. And he call, we call that the directive will of God. But God also has a permissive will. That is, he has a directive will for your life, but he allows you some choice in the matter of whether you will be obedient to that or even recognize that or maybe even ask for it or seek to understand it. He has a permissive will. That is... He allows us to do certain things that are not according to His directive will for us, but what He will permit. We call that the permissive will of God, what He's willing to allow in our lives. And then we have the overruling will of God, where God takes us out of the process and says, no, You're not going there. You're not going to do that. He blocks every attempt that we have to keep us from doing a specific thing. Certainly it's better to know the directive will of God, but there's not a thou shalt for 
and thou shalt not for every choice we have to make. And so we have the permissive will of God that allows some tolerance. Well, all three of those aspects of God's will are revealed here in the story of Balaam. God spoke to Balaam. I should say Balaam inquired of God what he ought to do. These men came saying, there's a people that's coming into our land that are going to overrun us, and I want you to come and curse them. And if you curse them, I will give you a great reward. Balaam seems to be on the up and up. He said, well, if the king were to give me his whole kingdom, I couldn't go contrary to what God tells me. So you men spend the night. I'll go out and have communion with God. I'll go talk with God. And I'll see what God says about your request. So the men bedded down for the night and Balaam went to talk with God. And God said, no, Balaam, don't go. It was pretty specific. Don't go. These people are my people. Now you realize Balaam was not an Israelite. He was not descendant of Jacob. He is a descendant from Noah and got his Bible training uh, at the, uh, the, the table of Noah's brothers. Uh, Noah's sons, uh, from which he descended. But he has this communication with God, and God says, no, Balaam, don't go. So the next morning when the men got up, Balaam said, I'm sorry, but God said, I can't go, so you men will have to go back and tell the king, I'm not coming. Well, when they got back to the land of Moab, the king wasn't very excited about the fact that he wasn't coming. He was his hope that the, he would have some protection over this horde of people that were coming in. So he sent some higher ranking princes and he sent a blank check. They went to the home of Balaam, the prophet over in Pithor and and Balaam said, uh, well, I, I said before and I'll say again, if the king were to give me his whole kingdom, I can't go against what God tells me to do. So you men spend the night, I'll go talk with God, and I'll see what God has to say about it. I guess he didn't understand that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's kind of like us. When we get a no to our first request, well, maybe try again. This time, the ante had been raised. He could write a blank check if he would go and curse them. So he said, you spend the night. I'll go talk with God. And God said, what are you doing back here? No, that's way I would have said it. God God said, Balaam, if the men come and call for you in the night, get up and go with them. Otherwise, stay put. He put a condition on it. That's what we frequently put out of fleece. Well, God, if you want me to do this, then let this happen. If you don't want me to do this, then let that happen. And... uh And so God said, if they come, they're already bedded down, and Balaam's in his prayer meeting, 
And if they come and call for you in the night, then get up and go with them. Otherwise, stay put. Well, they didn't come calling for Balaam in the night. But the next morning, Balaam said, I can go. Isn't it interesting? We give an inch sometimes and we take a whole mile if we get an inch. And so Balaam, uh, the Bible doesn't explain. He just loved the the wages of unrighteousness. But Balaam said, I can go. So he went out in the garage and started up his Ford. No, I guess that was a little premature. He had a she-ass that he had ridden uh, for, for apparently a number of years. And so he saddled her and they headed out for the land of Moab and God was angry. We don't go against what God has said without recognizing that God is going to put some blocks, some roadblocks, some hurdles in our way. And so God sent an angel. And the angel stood in the middle of the road with a drawn sword. And when the she-ass saw the angel with the sword, by the way, the preacher didn't see the angel with the sword. He probably was seeing dollar signs or whatever. We're not told, but he didn't see the angel, but the she-ass did. And she ran out in a field. And Balaam was angry and he struck her and got her back in the road. And the angel went down the road a little further and stood in a a narrow place in the road. And when the she-ass saw the angel with the drawn sword, she ran against a wall and smashed the foot of the prophet. Oh, he was really angry now. And he struck her again and got her back in the road. Well, the angel moved down the road a little further. See, sometimes it takes two or three times for God to get our attention. Went down the road a little further and stood in a narrow place where the there was no turning to the right or to the left. And when the she-ass saw the, the angel with the drawn sword, she fell down in the road. Just fell down in the road under the prophet. Oh, he was really irate now. And so he struck her again, and God did something very unusual. He opened her mouth, and she spoke with a man's voice. And she said, Why have you struck me these three times? Haven't I always been faithful to you since the day you got me? Well, yeah, but now you ran out in the field, you ran against the wall, you fell down in the middle of the road. I struck you. I wish I had a sword. I'd kill you, he said. Funny he should mention a sword. There's one in the area in there. Yeah. The angel has a drawn sword. Has not yet struck and killed the prophet, but standing there, And then God opened the eyes of the prophet and he saw the angel. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. I I know what you said, God. I'm going back home. If you want to talk with me, talk with me when I get back home. And he ran home as fast as he could. 
No, that's not the way the story goes, nor is that the way we usually operate. And you, you have to be able to read the Hebrew to get the tone. But this is what he said. Oh, did you not want me to go? Do you want me to go back home? <laughs> How dare he ask. Did you not want me to go? Do you want me to go back home? God had said first time, don't go. Second time, go only if. And the only if didn't come about and he's on his way. Now he says, do you want me to go home? Now we get the permissive will of God. God said, no. You want to go? Go. But you better only say what I tell you to say and only do what I tell you to do. But if you want to go, go. So Balaam went. I would hope that you and I would turn around and go back home. But Balaam went. And when he got to Moab, King Balak took him up to a place where they worship their idol god, the god of fertility, Baal. The king took him up to the high places of Baal where they, they sacrificed to this idol, this false god. And he said, you can see off in the distance from here, prophet, you can see that horde of people that are going to come into my land Curse them, and I will give you anything that you ask in my kingdom. Balaam says, well, if you were to give me your whole kingdom, I couldn't go against what God says. So, you build seven altars. You offer seven bullocks. You offer seven rams. (laughs) He's got these pagans making sacrifice to God. And I'll go over yonder and I'll see what God has to say. So they built seven altars and they offered seven bullocks and they offered seven rams. And the preacher talks to God and God says, Balaam, do not curse this people. Bless them. And so he goes back and he holds up his hands and he looks toward that horde of people and he said, God's blessings upon them. He pronounced a blessing upon them. Well, the king had already said, whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you're cursed. So he was a bit upset with the preacher. He said, you're looking at this from the wrong perspective. Come with me. So he took him over to Mount Pisgah. They climbed up on the mountain. And he said, now you can see them better from here. Curse them, and I'll give you whatever you want in my kingdom. And the prophet said, well, if you give me the whole kingdom, I couldn't go against what God said. You build seven altars. You offer seven rams. You offer seven books. I'll go see what God says. God said, Balaam, curse not, but bless these people, for I have a future for them. So Balaam goes back, 
I don't know if he had his hands in his pockets or whatever, but he went back and he pronounced a blessing upon the children of Israel. Balak is beside himself by that time. The king of Moab said, Come, let me take you up to Mount Peor, the highest mountain in the area. They climbed up to the top of the mountain and he said, Now look at that people and curse them and I'll give you whatever you ask in my kingdom. Well, the preacher finally got a little smarter, I guess. He didn't say, you build seven altars and you offer seven rams and some book. I'll go see what God... He said, yeah, well, it's all for the offerings, but he didn't need to go see what God had to say. God had already said it. So he pronounces a blessing upon the children of Israel. It seems like he finally got it right and the story ends happily ever after as he returns home with no blank check in his pocket. But as he returns home. But that's not how the story ends. No. We're told that the prophet said, I can't curse them. God won't let me. But they serve a jealous God. Let me, is that check still available? (laughs) Let me give you a plan by which you won't have to kill them. Their God will kill them. And so he counseled Balak and the other kings that were in that immediate area, send your young women down to the camp of Israel and have them seduce the young men of Israel into sexual perversion. And when you do, their God will kill them Himself. They did. And God did. God killed 24,000 of his young men because they were disobedient and immoral and became involved in idolatry with these women. God killed 24,000 of them. But after God got his own house cleaned, it was time to deal with the enemy. And so there was a great battle And after the battle was over, there's a body count that's given to us in the Scripture. Five dead kings that had opposed the children of God and they're dead on the battlefield. And among the dead five kings is a preacher. It looks like Balaam. What is he doing here? Well, you see, Balaam stayed around to carry out the plan. God had said, you want permission to go? Go ahead, but only do what I tell you to do and only say what I tell you to say. But Balaam loved uh, the wages of unrighteousness more than the will and the plan of God. And so Balaam said, give me the check. Send the women down. And he perished along with the enemies of God. God has a directive will. 
He has a permissive will. He has an overruling will. His directive will to Balaam was don't go. His second directive will was don't go unless. And then his permissive will said go but. Only say what I tell you to say and do what. But he went beyond that. He said more than that. He did more than that. And he died on the battlefield against the children of God. We need to understand then that there are those who love the wages of unrighteousness more than the ways of God. And we need to be able to identify those false prophets and those false teachers. We recognize compromise is the entrance to the path of unrighteousness. Abraham compromised when he took Lot, his nephew, with him. After God had told him to get out from among his kindred and among his people. When they separated, they had problems as a result, and when they separated, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. When Lot and his daughters had escaped, Lot got drunk and had an incestuous relationship with his daughters. Their descendants were the Ammonites and the Moabites. Balaam compromised when he went to Moab. Compromise leads to sin. And sin leads to judgment. So, we need to head off sin at the junction where compromise would have to be made. We are sojourners here on this earth. As born-again children of God, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are foreigners on this earth. That becomes more obvious every year of my life, every week under the present speed of it. We are foreigners here. We are sojourners. Not just foreigners out of place, but foreigners that have been placed here to do the work of God. To live out our design, to model our proper behavior before those that are around us, to understand God's direction for us day by day, and proceed with it. But it begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have choices day by day. We must be reminded that we are sojourners and God has a directive will, a permissive will, and an overruling will for our lives. There's going to be reward offered for us to make compromise, but it's reward of unrighteousness 
and we'll reap those wages.